Good afternoon and welcome to From Where We Are, stories of news and culture through the lens of USC and Southern California. I'm Malcolm Caminero, coming to you live from Studio B in USC's Annenberg Media Center. And I'm Natalie Lozano. It's Wednesday, September 27th. On today's show, we're going live to, G- to the GOP debate in Sydney Valley. LA's courthouse could be named after a local civil rights activist. And what's in a Narcan kit? We'll give you all the details. All that and more from, from where, where we are. are. Before we get to our show, let's check in with our headline news reporter, Tolu Okenbro. Thanks, Natalie. Here are today's headlines. The Hollywood writer's strike has finally come to an official end after 148 days. The proposed deal between the Writers Guild of America and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers still needs to be ratified by members of the Writers Guild. But writers have been given the green light to start working again after five months off the job. This deal changes the way writers are compensated with 35 to 5% pay increase, and members are now eligible for long-term payments based on streaming views and subscriptions. The Screen Actors Guild remains on strike, and if the union does not reach an agreement soon, production is likely to be pushed back even further. This week, the nonprofit group Fix the City filed a lawsuit against Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass due to her declaration of a local emergency on homelessness and housing. This allows the city to speed up the process of building temporary and permanent housing by permitting the mayor's office to bypass competitive bidding or city council approval. Fix the City says this is an illegal expansion of mayoral power and lessens due process and transparency. The mayor's office did not respond to a request for comment on this matter. The undergraduate student government and members of the Armenian community at USC are demanding support from the university upon the increasing fatalities of ethnic Armenians in the Nagorno-Karabakh. This USG created a bill which requests President Carol Folt to release a statement in support of the Armenian community and faculty members to assist affected students. After the USG Senate meeting on Tuesday, the bill was unanimously passed and is expected to be delivered to administration in two weeks. Switching gears from the West Coast to the East Coast, this past Tuesday, Judge Arthur and Goron ruled Donald Trump and his company are liable for fraud by misstating the values of multiple real estate properties for years. According to the decision, these misstatements of Trump's real estate empire have inflated his net worth by billions of dollars. Judge Angoron has also canceled the New York business certificates of Trump and the Trump organizations. It is unclear if the Trump organization and related entities will have to complete, completely seize operations in New York or if they can legally operate in the future. On a shinier note, business is booming for Costco as their newly released one-ounce gold bars are selling out in just a matter of hours. Some lucky Costco members were able to purchase the gold bar for nearly $2,000, while others are eagerly seeking alternative ways to purchase it at a similar price. According to the NASDAQ stock market, as of this morning, the one-ounce gold bar is priced at $1,919. That's all for today's headlines. Back to you, Malcolm and Natalie. Thanks, Tolu. I started singing bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Them good old boys.
Republican presidential candidates are preparing to face off tonight at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. It's the second presidential debate happening tonight at 6 p.m. Seven candidates will face off tonight and all met the RNC's heightened polling and fundraising standards for the debate. But will people tune in? Garrett Hardcourt went around campus to see what students are thinking. The Republican debate is set to kick off at 6 p.m. tonight, but the leading candidate, Donald Trump, will be absent. Seven candidates will be taking the stage, but only Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is polling above 10%. Former President Donald Trump is polling much higher than the other Republican candidates, and it would take an unprecedented jump to cause any real impact in the Republican presidential race. We asked USC students their opinion on the matter. USC biochemistry major Nathaniel Gonzalez thinks Trump has a slight advantage over Biden. Generally, I think people like him better than Biden just because it hasn't gone, Biden hasn't been doing so well, but um, I think he, Trump generally has a better chance of winning. Sharing a similar sentiment, applied math major Sam Sindich thinks Trump will have the backing regardless of showing up to the debates. See, Trump not showing up to the debates, I mean, I think it's a good tactic for him. I feel like if he actually showed up to a debate floor nowadays, he'd get wrecked. His campaign is mostly about his election being stolen in 2020. So I think by showing up to a debate, he, like, he would basically make it tougher on himself. I think his chances are still high just because I don't think any of the other candidates are really winning people over, unfortunately. And also, Trump does have a very loyal fan base that will support him regardless of what he does. Some experts say this could be a debate to become Trump's running mate. I talked to Greg Johnson, a professor of political science and dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Valparaiso University. If you're auditioning for the vice president's role because the big candidate has such a massive lead, uh, you're not going to want to attack the person that you want to be the vice president of. Um, there are a couple of candidates on the stage, Chris Christie and Aiden Hutchinson, that will go out and they will probably hammer away at Trump and Trumpism and the Trump takeover of the Republican Party, but they're so far behind that I don't think that'll amount to much. We'll see tonight if it'll be a fight for the presidential spot or if the candidates will be able to challenge Trump in the upcoming polls. For Annenberg Media, I'm Garrett Harcourt. This is the second primary debate of 2024. The campaign will feature seven candidates, including Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former Vice President Mike Pence, and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Our correspondent Ethan Wong is live at the debate right now. Ethan, the debate is taking place at an iconic venue, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. What's the mood? What's the atmosphere like there? Hello, thank you for having me. Right now, it's actually quite relaxed. At least earlier, we saw plenty of people lining up to actually get into the Presidential Library. Um, as the debate kind of is going to be starting in 30 minutes, we see many of the attendees have actually filed in. Right now, I'm outside in the courtyard in front of the media tent, um, and mostly it's media people kind of waiting and um, ready to hear and ready to watch the debate. What are people saying about the debate? Are Republican voters looking for an alternative to Trump? And if so, who? So, so far, we've had the chance to, or I've had the chance to speak with one um, community member who he's a CEO of an organization focused on Latino uh, interest, and he spoke a lot on economy. Um, to him, he didn't really 
particularly talk about any particular candidates, but he felt very hopeful about all of them. Um, and even in light of Trump's absence, um, and he kind of was saying how that he kind of was talking about how Trump um, kind of does have a slight edge, you know, being a former president and thinking that, you know, skipping out on these debates uh, because he's a former president, he does have an advantage. But at least to voters, they seem to be very hopeful um, that these candidates have a potential of going through. Excellent. Were you able to speak to any of the candidates? At the moment, no, but we are looking to, well, right now outside the media tent, we are watching the debates live from kind of these televisions that are being screened. But after the debate, we will be heading down into the spin room, which that is where candidates, officials, they will be coming out and potentially speaking with the media. Actually, at the moment, a couple moments ago, we heard that Gavin Newsom was down there representing Joe Biden's campaign. Um, so we actually had a couple of our reporters sent down there um, seeing what it's like down there with all the media, seeing what Gavin uh, Newsom has to say uh, for Biden's side of the story. That's great, Ethan. Can you tell us what are you hoping to learn tonight? Well, I mean, as a journalist, we are um, excited to really learn about what it is like to cover kinds of events. And in terms of the presidential debate, we are interested in seeing, um, you know, who will pull through. And right now, Trump has a very massive lead, according to polls. Um, with the census really being the only one, as mentioned in the previous story, the only one with a polling of above 10 percent. So we're very curious to see what um, this debate will bring through. Uh, we know last one, many of the candidates were targeting Ramaswamy for uh, the debate, and we'll see if they uh, will focus in on him again or if they will have any other candidates um, kind of on the chopping block this time. Thank you so much, Ethan. Have a great night. Yes, you too. California Governor Gavin Newsom just signed into law sweeping gun legislation on Tuesday that many say will keep us safe. The state will now ban people from carrying firearms in most public places, and for the first time ever, California will raise taxes on guns and ammunition. But as Li Fan Zhang reports, opponents of the new legislation say it violates the Second Amendment. Governor Gavin Newsom signed new gun control laws yesterday, including the first law that will put additional state tax on guns and ammunition. And we do casually say that the number one killer of our kids is guns, and, and it's sort of just accepted and that it's just somehow so normalized. It's a profound moment. I'm grateful for the many moments that we've had on this stage together in terms of advancing gun safety. Currently, the gun and ammunition tax across the nation sits at around 11%. This new state's law adds another 11% tax to sales. This makes California the only state with a separate tax on guns and ammunition. Some say this is a direct violation of the Second Amendment, which is the right to keep and bear arms. Dave Coppo is the research director at the Independence Institute in Denver. Is if a state has sales taxes on things, then it's perfectly fine that those apply to things that involve constitutional rights. But then if you said, well, we're going to have a special tax on religious items or newspapers or firearms specifically, then that might be seen as a targeted tax against the exercise of constitutional rights and could be held unconstitutional for that reason. 
Hobo says the state of Minnesota tried something similar in the 1970s when they imposed the use tax on the cost of paper and ink products for newspaper. One of the newspapers sued, and the U.S. Supreme Court agreed, saying the use tax was unconstitutional.、Um, the Supreme Court, in the context of the First Amendment, has said that it, it's constitutionally dubious to have specific targets, taxes that are targeted at the exercise. At the exercise of First Amendment rights, so the critics of this new California law will will certainly point to that case. But Coppola also pointed out there's another side to this debate. Look, we've had this 11 percent excise tax under the Pittman-Robertson Act since the 1930s, and California will say, "Oh, we're not trying to discourage gun ownership. This is." You know, this 11 percent tax is the same as the federal one, so it, it's not a, a punitive,、uh, abusive tax. It, it's just like the federal one. The tax from the sale of gun ammunition will reportedly fund several different programs in the state, including security improvements at public schools and several gun violence prevention programs. From Edinburgh Media, I'm Li Fanzhang. <laughs> California Representative Jimmy Gomez proposed the legislation to rename the Los Angeles U.S. Courthouse to the Felicitas and Gonzalo Mendez U.S. Courthouse. In 1945, Felicitas and Gonzalo fought against segregation for their daughters' educational rights in, Menen- in Mendez versus Westminster. The case set the precedent for the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Brown v. Board of Education. Sylvia Mendez was nine years old when she went to court for the first time. As a nine-year-old girl, all I was thinking is, when we went to court, that they were fighting for me to go to this beautiful school, never realizing exactly what they were fighting for. They were fighting for desegregation. Her parents and four other families, all of Mexican descent, filed a lawsuit in California to allow her to go to an elementary school in Westminster, Orange County, and they won. In 1946, Sylvia Mendez walked the halls of her beautiful school with an ice playground. At one point, the school board decided to ask my father, "Gonzalo, forget this nonsense. What are you doing? If you forget this nonsense, forget about suing. We'll allow your children to go to that school." And my dad says, "No, I'm not going to stop this nonsense. It's not only for my children; it's for all the children." Two months later, California Governor Earl Warren signed a bill ending school segregation in California. And today, nearly eight decades later, Sylvia Mendez stood next to California Representative Jimmy Gomez in front of the House of Representatives in D.C. Representative Gomez introduced a bill that would name Los Angeles County's courthouse in honor of Sylvia's parents, Felicitas and Gonzalo Mendez. For all Americans to feel part of this greater American story. They need to see themselves in those stories and in those buildings and monuments that tell our history. This is why this tribute to the Mendez family is so important. To name the courthouse in the district where this decision was made enshrines the sacrifices of the Mendez family and so many other families into the American story. If passed, the bill would make the Los Angeles courthouse the first courthouse in the U.S. to be named after a Latina. There's been no word on when exactly the bill will be voted on. For Annenberg Media, I'm Kern Rostogi with help from Anthony Bettino.
Unfortunately, opioid overdoses are on the rise in LA County. But as Shay Marceline reports, with the help of a small kit, USC is taking action to help lower these numbers. At USC's farmer's market today, students weren't just lining up at food stalls. Instead, they were gathering around a health center stand, asking questions and picking up free bananas. But there was also something else they were grabbing. In anticipation for International Recovery Day, um, USC Student Health is giving away free Narcan to all students who are interested. That's Kyra Aligayan, one of USC's wellness health outreach ambassadors. Narcan um, or naloxone is an opiate reversal spray for people who have overdoses. Um, and so I know there's a lot of stigma oftentimes when we talk about overdoses um, and even the use of naloxone. But in general, we think it's just really important to be in the hands of everyone because you never know who, might, who you might come across who needs it. Senior global health major Sanaya Bat agrees. I think it's important because it helps save lives. I think uh, Narcan could be administered by anybody, and it's important to know that you don't have to be a health professional for um, you to have access to these things. Opioid use is on the rise in L.A. County. In fact, the L.A. County of Public Health recorded a 621% increase in fentanyl overdoses from 2016 to 2021. You can run into anybody at any point in the streets or anywhere that might be having an overdose. And there's so many people around that um, could benefit from just having it on you. You never know when you'll need it. Every Wednesday through April 15th, the USC Student Health Center will distribute Narcan kits at the farmer's market. And the best part, they're free. The kits that we're giving out here at the Student Health Corner at the farmer's market, they also have fentanyl drug testing strips as well. So we just think it's really important for students to have their hands on these things, especially because they are free and at no cost. USC students can look up Naloxin SC on the internet to find out how to administer Narcan safely and effectively. From Annenberg Media, I'm Shay Marceline. Joining us now in the studio is our reporter, Shay Marceline. Shay, thanks for being here to talk about these free kits. Thank you for having me. So this is a really important story, and I'm glad these kits are being handed out for free. So let's talk about it. Tell us what you're holding in your hand. So this is a Narcan kit that I got today at the farmer's market. Um, basically, it has two doses of Narcan that um, you could administer. And actually, there's also five fentanyl testing strips as well. So it's good for you know, when the overdose does happen, but also to prevent an overdose as well. Wow, yeah, that's great. Do you know, like, why the the health center is handing out Narcan? What the reason might be behind it? Yeah, I think this issue extends past campus and really into the L.A. community. Um, the L.A. County of Public Health saw a 621% increase in just five years, so I think that's a reason enough. And where can students on campus go to find more about this information, maybe how to pick up a kit themselves? Yeah, students can go to uh, Naloxone SC and they can search it in their browser. Um, and it has um, overdose education videos how to prop and how to properly administer Narcan as well. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Hey, Natalie, how do you get around campus? Besides walking, of course. Oh, I skate to class sometimes. Really? You do? No, like, I would not be here if I skated to class. Come on, Malco. <laughs> all right, all right. I don't skate to class either. But for those who do bike, skate, or scooter, Stephen Noble details the importance of securing your ride. 
322. That is the number of motor vehicles stolen on and around USC's campus in 2022. No other crime even hit a triple-digit number of reported instances on USC's 2023 Annual Security and Fire Safety Report. We spoke with USC's Chief of DPS, David Carlisle, to learn more about why this number was so high. You might picture in your mind hundreds of cars being taken off of campus every day, and it is not the case. As the scooters have become more and more popular, we see more, more of them stolen. A majority of the vehicle thefts at USC are electric scooters, and it feels like everyone is riding one, like graduate student Brian Choi, who just joined the trend. I used to have a skateboard, but uh, I thought it was a lot more hard work to get to classes and stuff, and it took a lot longer. So I made the transition to a scooter. But I've been really enjoying the experience so far. While Brian has two locks for his scooter, other students like senior Janina Colucci rather keep their scooter within reach at all times. Uh, most acting classes don't mind if you bring your scooter into class. So I actually don't even own a lock. I just bring my scooter into class. That's really unfortunate for the people who got their scooters taken because they're really expensive. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to keep my baby safe. To prevent the theft of all active transportation, DPS started double locking scooters and bikes that are improperly locked. Sophomore Darby Klein got the front tire of her bike stolen last year. She repaired it at the beginning of the semester. This semester, she walked out of class only to discover DPS has double locked her bike. She called the number and when DPS came, they taught her how to properly lock her bike in the future. It's pretty nice they did that though, because if it stopped someone from taking my bike again and saved me another $100, I'm okay with that. Chief Carlisle says students need to make sure they follow three simple steps to keep their vehicle safe. We have the saying at DPS, it's called lock it, hide it, keep it. To keep your transportation safe, be sure to invest in a high quality lock and register your scooter or bike with DPS online. For Annenberg Media, I'm Stephen Noble. is a problem in the USC community. However, there are measures being taken to fix the crisis. The USC Sustainability Hub has incorporated an e-waste initiative to help fix the crisis. No more e-waste debris on campus, and that's what I'm talking about. But Arun Shakuri has the story. This morning, the USC Sustainability Hub held an e-waste collection event, trying to cut down on the amount of electronic waste across the university. USC students were able to donate and recycle any unused electronic devices. The Sustainability Hub, which was opened earlier this year and includes a 1,500 square foot space, is focused on helping USC and its students reduce their footprint on the environment. We walked around the event today to see what students had to say about sustainability and e-waste. Christopher Conroy, a master's student in electronic and computer engineering, understands the importance of properly disposing of e-waste. Imagine like people just disposing of it in incorrect locations um, or putting it with general garbage that uh, could potentially affect that garbage's ability to be recycled or disposed of um, appropriately. Um, I'd imagine if e-waste is just disposed of in incorrect locations that uh, chemicals leaking from those products over time would be harmful to the environment. Uh, However, students like David Berkovi aren't exactly sure how to solve such a large issue. I would say an online program or something to, you know, you, you make people take, but um, again, people don't really follow or listen to those. So yeah. I would say 
I, I would that was my first uh, initial thought, but I don't even know how effective that would actually be. Um, I would have to think through probably what would be an effective way to to educate people on e-waste and how to fix it or how to you know make it better. Nonetheless, USC student Adam Romero sees a potential at USC to solve the issue. I mean, right now, if you look around campus, almost anywhere you look, there's always some kind of recycling or a bin kind of thing. So installing more of those could be helpful. But even now, wherever you look, there's still a lot. And other things that could be done is, I was kind of sending emails about it and stuff because almost everyone sees the emails and I read all my emails. So it makes it a lot more uh, effective. Pages, touch thinks we all need to be more aware of our carbon footprint. Obviously, I mean, the carbon emissions and then, uh, like, uh, I mean, you're not supporting the green, go green emission, or, I mean, for the planet Earth, right? So, yeah, it would definitely affect the footprint of us. For Annenberg Media, I'm Arun Cherokuri. Three astronauts traveling on the Russian Soyuz MS-23 spacecraft landed safely back on Earth today after a very long journey in space. In fact, the mission was doubled in its duration. Oh my god, I wouldn't even last a day. I wonder what a trip suddenly, like, the doubled in time, like, what does that do to your body? I'm glad you asked, Natalie. We sent our reporter Clara Rodriguez to find out about what the astronauts went through. After spending one entire year in space, Three astronauts return to Earth. American astronaut Frank Rubio and his two Russian colleagues, cosmonauts Dmitry Patelin and Sergei Prokofiev, parachuted into Kazakhstan, landing around 4.15 a.m. Pacific time. The mission was meant to last 180 days. In other words, just six months long. But it more than doubled into a 371-day orbit. That's more than a year of being suspended in space. Well, at least on the bright side, NASA's Rubio broke a US space record for the longest single spaceflight in history. We spoke to a trained astronaut and USC professor and chair of the Aerospace and Mechanical Engineering Department, Paul Ronnie, about what space does to the human body. And that's one of really the challenges of long-term spaceflight is how to deal with these cosmic rays as well as the deterioration of your uh, you know, of your um, muscle mass and especially your bone mass. How does an astronaut maintain their muscle mass for that long without gravity? Ronnie says it's not easy. However, long-term space really leads to a degeneration of bone and muscle. And even astronauts who have you know, been in space for months, even though they exercise and uh, work out really hard, in fact, I know, um, of astronauts have told me they were working out like two hours a day. USC lecturer in both the Astronautical Engineering Department and the School of Architecture, Madhu Tangavelu, agrees. What happens during uh, longer duration missions uh, are more serious. Uh, um, your um, uh, your uh, heart rate uh, is affected. Uh, your uh, vision is affected. Uh, um, the bodily uh, fluids uh, cause changes even in the brain. And um, 
uh, uh, radiation. If that wasn't enough, there's also the emotional side. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think Frank will take some time, and I believe it may be a few months to perhaps even a year. Um, before he gets his legs back, you know, so that he can go play tennis or fly helicopters. Um, and, um, you know, I, 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 I'm sure, I'm sure he wants to have some pizza or hamburgers because these are uh, the things that um, the crew crave for and miss when they are on, 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 uh, on the mission. Um, they come back, they want to smell the green grass of home. Um, they want to see the blue skies. And now, hopefully the three astronauts will get to enjoy just that. Blue skies, the sounds of home, the taste of junk food. For Annenberg Media, I'm Clara Rodriguez. Malcolm, did you ever get lost as a kid? Only all the time. I, I remember when I was, I want to say three, I got lost in a Safeway and I ended up going to the checkout clerk because I had been separated from my mom and just tears were falling on my face. And I remember my mom being so upset with me because she heard on the intercom, uh, there's a crying child in aisle three, there's a crying child in aisle three. And I can promise you she was none too pleased. No, yeah, that's happened to me too. I'm like with the guard and he looks so annoyed. My mom's like, what were you doing? But it was really scary in the moment. Now imagine being a two-year-old. You're lost, cold, scared in the Michigan woods, and your only company are two dogs. Are you sure that isn't an Agatha Christie novel? No, I'm sure. Allegedly, she was found like at around midnight. She was using one of the dogs as a pillow, and the other dog was guarding her. I mean, not for the story, but I'm glad the girl was found safely. Yeah, I'm really glad this story had a happy ending. I guess dogs truly are a human's best friend. And that's all we have time for on today's From Where We Are. Issa Johnson directed today's show, Jack Waterman, Amy Lopez, and Sana Muhammad produced. We also had help from Anthony Bettino, Mackenzie Johnson, Charlotte Shook, and Jane Walgren. Our board operator is AC Schick. Our coach is Tina Rubio. Our live stream manager is Nina Mutadat. And Derek Renfro composed our theme music. Catch us live on YouTube at Annenberg Radio News, Monday through Thursday at 5 p.m. Subscribe to From Where We Are, wherever you're listening right now. And finally, don't forget to follow us on that Instagram at Annenberg Radio. I'm Malcolm Caminero. And I'm Natalie Lozano. From all of us at Edinburgh Radio, wherever you are, we hope you'll join us again for From From Where Where We Are. Are.